particular who told you that is rather like tap dancing in a field that is riddled with landmines because it's very emotional. It's very personal. It means so much. The Lord's Supper or the communion or Eucharist from a Greek word meaning Thanksgiving is a centerpiece of worship for most churches that are Christian churches. There are a few Christian churches that do not have anything to do with it, including the Salvation Army and the, the Quakers and, and a few like that. But most of them, this is a very important part of their worship. Whether it is every time they gather for worship, like the Catholics, or whether it is every Sunday, uh, as it is for many Protestant churches, or as if it's just once a quarter or only on high holy days, like it is on uh, the majority of Protestant churches. What do we do about this? Who told us what this was? Who told you? Well, let's talk about that. Jesus shared the Last Supper with his disciples. And as we're coming up upon Palm Sunday and Easter, as this is being recorded, this is a very timely time to take a look at that Last Supper and what was intended there. It was simple. It was part of a fellowship meal. It was part of a meal, a religious meal, that was evocative, uh, reflective, solemn, but also celebratory because it looked back upon the imprisonment and enslavement of the Jewish people, yes, but also it walked the family every year through the story of liberation, salvation, freedom given to them by God. So it wasn't a downcast meal in any stretch of the term. Passover did accept that there were some very solemn, deep things, but there was a rejoicing there. And it was at that meal that Jesus took bread and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he shared it with the disciples and he said, this is my blood poured out for you as a sacrifice for many. It again was, was fairly simple. Now fast forward just two and a half hundred years, maybe 300 years, and it's removed from the living room, and they didn't really have living rooms. It was more of a living area, very often, if not almost always, outside. It was removed from there to a church building, under guard by the clergy. They were the ones who touched these elements, and only in a certain way. And they were the ones who told you when you could take them, and even who could take them. What, what happened there? And in the first century church, we see as early as Acts chapter 2, that they continued daily in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And that breaking of bread can mean just a regular meal, but it often meant, and historians are pretty much unanimous on this, the Lord's Supper, that remembrance of Christ, was also done as they gathered day by day. Why was it removed for just Sundays or just within a local church building, and perhaps even then, only on particularly high holy days. I've even had people say, well, if you wouldn't want to take it every Sunday, then it would lose its meaning. Hey, listen, I sing every Sunday, I give every Sunday, I read scripture every Sunday, and even more, and it hasn't lost my meaning, and even more than that, I smile at my wife every, every day. I tell her I love her every day. It doesn't lose its specialness when it's important to you. 
So how did we get from the simple meal to the location determined, time determined, and administered and created and legislated and guarded by a clergy set? That's, um, it, was, it wasn't any longer house to house. It was only in this house. Literalist also played a part here because they took Jesus saying, this is my body to mean this is my body. And they claimed that whenever the priest or clergy person said a prayer, that the bread actually became the flesh of Jesus, by the way, giving rise to slanders against Christian throughout the millennia saying, Oh, they are cannibalistic or that this is a pseudo cannibalistic cult. Atheists still use that against Christians. And that when Jesus said, this is my blood, that it meant this is my blood. And if you don't believe the Bible, then that's a big problem there, Mr. or Mrs. If he says it's a body and a blood, it's a body and a blood. Not understanding simile, metaphor, allegory. In other words, the way people use language. For example, with the cop, he goes, this is cup is is my blood which is shed is shed it wouldn't be shed until a couple days later here so it it is a symbol and by the way we understand that about everything else but when it comes to scripture literalists will grab upon the thing they want to make literal and they make that literal and everything else not it's just it's rather sad actually but that caused wars and then there were people that said well it is a spirit of Christ that enters into these things. It's not his actual flesh, not his actual um, blood. You had transubstantiation, consubstantiation. You had people killing each other over these concepts. When you're killing each other over a meal that originally was simple and just as a way to remember Christ, you might be doing something wrong. Oh, well, by the way, I don't deny the presence of Christ in the bread and in the cup at all. I believe the presence of Christ invited in comes in. And I believe that when he promises it, it that promise is kept. So that's not it. But we're talking about a physiological change? No. A spiritual change? Maybe. But is that what this is all about? Who told you that's what this was all about? It was also, again, moved from the dinner table and then firmly nailed to an altar. It was no longer more of a celebratory thing, although it was still said to be celebrated. When I grew up in, a, uh, in my particular branch of the non-Catholic Christian movement, we, uh, we were told to be thinking of the sacrifice that God made in Christ. Think of the nails, think of the whips, think of the thorns. And they would sometimes even try to outdo each other on how horrible this thing was, rather like a Mel Gibson film. Rather than looking upon the freedom and wonder of grace and love, let's look at the stripes and the blood. That was, um, how did it get there? How did we turn this into an altar when it was supposed to be a family remembrance? Well, I've had people say, well, he said, remember me. Okay. Remember him. I, I hope some people remember me when I die. But when I say that, I don't mean that I want them to sit about and remember how horrible it was when I died. The choking, the dying, the gasping, whatever that was. I don't want them to talk about that. I want them to talk about what it was like to be around me. 
how I treated them. If it was positive, if it wasn't positive, I hope they forget that. But you get the point. When Jesus says, I want you to remember me, it doesn't mean sit there and be sad. And you'd best focus on that. We were even told, if you're thinking about other things right now, that that's a horrible thing because you're supposed to be thinking about the suffering. Hmm. Who told you that? And some Protestants kept it locked away as rigidly as their Catholic brethren. They policed it as well. There were movements that if you did not have elders and clergy, the appropriate clergy present, you couldn't have communion. And that is still true in most Christian movements today. Others will save it only for a special occasion. And then there's something else we did to it. I can remember even as a boy, they would say, we're going to celebrate this meal in remembrance of Christ. It wasn't a meal. There's no way you can call this a meal. It was a tiny piece of bread. And then a tiny cup of juice. In our fellowship, it was never wine. It was always juice. Oh, and by the way, that you know, if you're wondering, well, that's because the Jews back... No, has nothing to do with the Jews. has everything to do with prohibition. And there were certain rules going about in the anti-drunkardness, um, the temperance movements. We'll talk about that another time. But they, they dewined it and made it juice, but they still called it the cup or the, or the wine. Or, it's very confusing for a young boy. So what? who told us that we should shrink this? By the way, in the movement in which I grew up, baptism had to be fully full immersion or didn't count. Now, by the way, I still believe that Jesus intended for us to be baptized by full immersion and Acts chapter 2, verse 38, for the remission of our sins. I, I truly believe the scripture says this. But it is odd, is it not, that the very people that would fight moving from full immersion to just sprinkling, shrinking it a bit, have no problem taking it as a meal and shrinking it down to that little thing. Calling it a meal doesn't make it a meal when it's one of those. It's rather like on Halloween, passing out candies that are this tiny and they have fun size on them. There's nothing fun about that. Stop it. That's not fun. That's anti-fun. Fun is those. Some will say, well, you have to take it this way. There's a strict order involved. I've even been in churches where after the prayer, somebody started passing the cup before they passed the bread. And oh my goodness, no, 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 no. Because Paul said the bread, then the cup. Yeah, but Luke said the cup, then the bread, then the cup. It's not about the order. I have been with people who said that if you broke the bread before you said a prayer, it wasn't valid. Or I've been with others who said if you broke it after you said the prayer, it wasn't valid. I have been with people who argued that it had to be one cup because he passed the cup, not all the cups. Do you honestly think that's what Jesus was saying? And some will say, but no, 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 hang on. He passed the cup as a sign of the unity of the brother. No, you put those words in Jesus' mouth. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm passing you a single cup as a, un as a symbol of the unity of... He didn't do that. He just says, when you eat and drink, when you gather together, I want you to remember me. And what did we turn it into? Something very different, where order matters and where you'd better have a prayer for each of them in a the right order. 
And you can't say certain things. You can't say thank you for the blood that was spilled because spilled is accident. You have to say shed because shed is intentional, which are entirely made up definitions of these words. There is no dictionary that would give you that right to take these Greek words and make it. Who told you that? Who told you that? By the way, I sincerely believe everybody who told me all this stuff was super sincere and super wanted to follow Jesus and really wanted to honor Jesus. I really do. Doesn't mean they were accurate and it doesn't mean they were capturing what Jesus intended. So what do we do with this? Well, we'll talk a little bit more about this next Monday, but I want you to spend some time thinking, where did we get these ideas? Who told us this? But remember what I told you. It's not just who told us this, but who told them and who told them and who told them and trace it back. And you find that a few hundred years after Jesus, the people with pointy hats and staffs and stuff and uh, fancy robes decided that we had to make Christianity uniform and keep it controlled and predictable as a franchise religion. So no matter where you went in the world, when you walked through the doors, it would be exactly the same, even to the point of uh, making Latin the only language allowed for a very, very long time till Vatican II. By the way, don't make fun of the Catholics and laugh at them for that because the Protestants heaped up all kinds of other traditions on top of it. What, what happened to a simple meal where Jesus is saying, when you eat and drink, I want you to remember me and turned it into something else. Now I have, as I close, cause we're gonna do more of this next week. I would love to go on for about another hour, but it's not fair. This is Monday morning, you have things to do. I, to be fair, I need to say that our Catholic brothers and sisters aren't just making it up as they go. They believe it's in, it's in their doctrine that tradition and the rules of the church as given through the leaders through the centuries, carry the same weight as written scripture. To them, written scripture is very, very, very important. And it's a launching pad, but it's not set in concrete. Now the Protestants came along with solo fide and solo scriptura, faith alone and scripture alone. But they didn't do that, did they? I don't know that it's possible. I don't know that it's possible to go through your life stripping all the barnacles of history off and look at something ahistorically. So while I'm questioning who told us this and where did they get this, I'm not questioning one thing. I think whatever we do to honor Jesus, he accepts. So while it may not be what he was getting at at the Last Supper, and I most certainly don't think he was getting at what we do today. It doesn't mean he's mad at us, for God is love. Jesus gave us grace and he died for our sins. If he's willing to do that, I think he's willing to go, if this is how you honor me, I'll accept it. You might wanna read Romans chapter 14, just as a reminder that we don't judge each other in this, that. God will make us stand on the last day. It's okay. But it's all right to stop every now and then and say, maybe we could have done this better if we'd paid attention 
to who told who what. God bless. Have a great week.